This episode is brought to you by Paycor, the HR and payroll software made for leaders. It's never been harder to recruit, hire, and engage workers. That's why HR leaders and frontline managers depend on Paycor for all things people management, from onboarding and performance reviews to compensation and benefits. Learn more at paycor.com leaders. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. We are here on a uh, a little earlier show than usual. Sometimes, uh, depending on how my uh, you know work schedule goes or you know school schedule, you know, you know how college goes. You know, for a lot of people out there, it's, college is crazy. But uh, so so we're doing a five o'clock show today because I have something school involved a little later on. So not the usual six o'clock show, although that will be the case tomorrow. So be back tomorrow for my NFL predictions at six. Unfortunately, this cheese head cannot come off my head because of the simple fact that I lost a bet uh, to my sister, who's obviously a diehard Packers fan. And uh, she you know, gave me nothing but, but, you know, grace and was very classy about, uh, you know, her winning this bet the other day about the Packers beating the Cowboys. And I, I really appreciate her for, for being a really good sport about it. Uh, obviously, no, I'm, I'm kidding. She was the exact opposite, and it's it's been miserable this week wearing this garbage on my head. So this show and tomorrow and then this trash that is resting on my skull will find you will never be seen on Carving It Up Live again. Thank God. But we do have a loaded show today. I'm going to discuss <laughs> my Golden State Warriors, the defending 2022 NBA champion. We're 6-9. on the road, despite the fact that Steph Curry is probably having the best season of his career. I will break it down, everything going wrong in Golden State, because it's not just one thing or one guy or one group. It's a lot of different things combined. I'll discuss that, as well as Kevin Durant's very telling interview with Chris Haynes on Bleach Report. Very, very interesting interview that I thought was uh, really telling about where KD's at. As a basketball player, as a guy, and what it could mean for him moving forward. I'll talk about that. Dak Prescott, I've got a big, big uh, uh, proclamation to make about Dak going to this huge game for the Cowboys this week against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, big primetime game on CBS. Uh, Nance and Rum on the call. That'll be a big one Sunday before Thanksgiving. And at the end of the show, of course, I will predict tonight's game, week 11. Big one. Tennessee Titans, Green Bay Packers. Is, could there have been another week? That I could have worn a cheese head. I got to wear a cheese head to break a Packers game. Really? Thanks a lot, Chloe. But we'll start with Philadelphia, who lost their first game of the season. Last undefeated team goes down. The 72 Dolphins can celebrate, pop the champagne, and get ready uh, to have a celebration. Uh, you know, the, 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 the members of that team that are still with us to, to celebrate the fact that they are still the last undefeated team. Actually, I should say the only undefeated team in the Super Bowl era. 
The Eagles lost 32-21 to against the Washington Commanders. It was closer than the score might indicate because Washington scored a late garbage time touchdown uh, because the fact Philly was trying some you know crazy trick play to get a miracle touchdown. Washington picked up a fumble and scored. Um, here's two, I was thinking about this, two trends that the Philadelphia Eagles are currently following that are very, very concerning if you are a fan of the Eagles. Which, by the way, I, I hope your night was very miserable on Monday. As miserable as my show was on Monday, having to wear this. But Philadelphia, what are the two trends, okay? Let's start with something that is just that is specific to these 2022 Philadelphia Eagles. There's a couple things that I looked at with them, and I'm like, I'm hesitant to call them the best team in the NFC. The only reason I did was simply because they had the best record in the conference. And they had the best record in the National Football League. Only undefeated team left. Now, strength of schedule, uh, not that great. But I'm like, <laughs> they haven't lost. I can't. I mean, I can't hate on them too much. They're taking care of business for the most part. They're dominating teams, save for a few. I can't hate. They're they're doing their job. They're taking care of business. But what I'm looking at with Philadelphia was two things. Number one, Jalen Hurts, who's having a great season. A great season. Is he? able to, to play from behind? Because this is the question we had about Lamar Jackson, right? Lamar Jackson, very similar sort of trajectory, right? Lamar was the last pick in the first round. Jalen was picked in the second round. So drafted around that same sort of territory, similar questions coming in about their ability to throw the football accurately. We had no questions about their athleticism, their leadership, their, their coachability, like very similar players. Now, Jalen is more, I would say, physically gifted than Lamar. I mean, what does he squat? 500 pounds. I mean, he's an athletic freak. It's not to say Lamar is it, but Jalen is, is, is a physical specimen. Okay. But we had all these different questions coming in by about year four, year five with Lamar Jackson. Really? I'd say year four. We were like, okay, yeah, this, okay. He can play from behind. He can make all the throws. We're not worried about Lamar Jackson. If you're concerned about Lamar at this point, I, 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 I honestly can't help you. Okay. He can make all the throws. He can play from behind. He's that dude. Jalen, we still have those questions, though, middle of year three. We always said, what is Philly when they're off script? What is Philly when the fit hits the shan and stuff isn't going right? Down double digits, at home, there's the pressure of staying undefeated, Monday night football against your division rival, so far 0 for 1. Now, this, this isn't an indictment to say, okay, they can't play from behind. Thus far, they haven't in their one opportunity. But thus far, they're 0 for 1. Now, Jalen Hurts didn't play bad by any stretch of the imagination, right? He was had an okay completion percentage, threw a couple touchdown passes. QBR 73, it's pretty good. And a pass rating decent, 94. Um, although he wasn't much of a factor in the ground game aside from the, the one rushing touchdown. But here's what I'm looking at for Philadelphia in particular on the defensive side of the ball. And you just saw they just signed Indomitian Sue today from free agency, which is a big pickup for them because Jordan Davis, their star rookie who I loved out of the draft out of Georgia, is be out for a little while. So you're looking at that. Philadelphia, and I, I brought this up when they lost to Houston. Or I'm sorry, when they beat Houston. I was like, that game was tight with about five minutes left. That game was still in question. And you're like, you know, Houston's won one game. Philly's undefeated. This should be over at halftime. But it's the NFL, and teams can ex expose you by about mid-season. I said, okay, Houston ran down Philly's throats. So did Dallas. 
to a certain degree, so did Arizona and some of these other teams. Detroit. The Washington Commanders ran for 152 yards against Philadelphia. Taylor Heineke really didn't have to do all that much. Okay, he only, you know, only threw for 200 yards. Pass rating, not great. Like, Taylor Heineke was, was asked to be the typical game-managing quarterback. Don't make any mistakes. Don't screw it up. Let the running game carry us. That's exactly what happened. And this is something that is at least notable for Philadelphia moving forward. If you look at their upcoming schedule, they got Jonathan Taylor next week. They've got Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon the following week. They've got Derrick Henry the week after that. They've got Saquon Barkley. Then they've got the Chicago Bears, whose quarterback is their best runner. Runs for like 150 yards a game these days. Then they've got either Zeke Pollard, whoever's a starter by that point. Then they've got Alvin Kamara. Then they've got Saquon Barkley. These teams can run the football, okay? I mean, you look down the list. You know, uh, you know. Uh, Indianapolis, for all their offensive struggles, Jonathan Taylor, Taylor is still, I think, a top five back in the NFL. Derrick Henry is arguably still the best back in the NFL. Saquon Barkley is probably the offensive player of the year. Dallas can run it. Chicago can run it. This is a real concern for Philadelphia moving forward. So that's the first trend. That's Eagles-specific. They can't stop the run. And then you also factor in the fact that can they play from behind when they're not running the ball down people's throats. Because Philly can run it themselves, but when you're trailing by double digits, eventually you got to start airing it out a little bit. Here's the second thing. And it's, it's important to note this. Think about the last three seasons. Let's think about 2019, okay? The Baltimore Ravens, very similar to Philadelphia. 14-2. and two. Lamar Jackson wins unanimous MVP. I don't think anybody in the NFL is going to win unanimous MVP. Even if Jalen Hurts were to win it, he's not going to win it unanimously unless he just literally plays out of his mind the next half of the season. But they had to play from behind. At that point, Lamar was not a quarterback that could beat you playing from behind. You look at the stats from that playoff game, and they were, blew you away. There was like 500 yards in that game against Tennessee. But they were not indicative of how bad he played. Okay, Baltimore. You know, very comfortable. They played with the lead. Lamar ran it down your throat. So did Mark Ingram. So did the, all the other guys that, that the Ravens had. They had a great offensive line, great defense. But as the great Mike Tyson once said, everybody's got to play until he get hit in the mouth. And Derrick Henry, that Titans rushing attack, hit Baltimore in the, in the mouth from the get-go, and they never recovered. Look at 2020. Now we're talking about undefeated teams. The Pittsburgh Steelers started 11-0. Then they got hit in the mouth by Washington. Okay, and teams like Cleveland. And then they met Cleveland in the playoffs. And it wasn't even close. Okay, that game was over by the end of the first quarter. Last year, undefeated Cardinals. Kyla Murray. Can he play from behind? Do we trust the coach? The defense is hit and miss. A lot of the same questions we had about some of these teams of the last three years, Baltimore in 2019, Pittsburgh in 2020, okay, uh, Arizona in 2021. We kind of have those questions about Philadelphia. I like Jalen Hurts. I've kind of come around on Jalen Hurts. But I still have questions about him in regards to whether or not he can play from behind. Whether or not, if you're down double digits, are the coaches going to put him in the best position to succeed? And that's where I put the onus on Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni has a little Mike McCarthy in him. I'll explain. 
Name the because he's been the, he's been the Eagles coach for two years now. This is the second year as the Eagles head coach. Name the game from the last two seasons where he sat back and said, "Dang, Nick Sirianni, boy, he outcoached ex coach on the other sideline. Like, boy, he boy he pulled one there." I I I, I can't think of it. Not even from this year. So once you get to the postseason, and the postseason is all about it's a lot about a lot of things. But number one at the top of the list, what is the postseason about? Matchups. That's the case in any sport. Football, baseball, hockey, soccer, doesn't matter. It's all about matchups. And when you're talking coaching matchups, game planning between, let's look at, just look at the playoff teams, the NFC. Kevin O'Connell, Nick Sirianni. We've had games this year for Minnesota like, wow, Kevin O'Connell. My goodness. Boy, I mean, just look how he changed the culture of Minnesota's offenses alive now. Look at Look down the list. Seattle, Pete Carroll. Gosh, look at his history. Okay, Pete Carroll. How many great coaching performances has Pete Carroll had? Okay, his resume speaks for itself. Todd Bowles. Okay, you can make an argument there, right? We Although, Todd Bowles took over a Jets team in 2015. And with Ryan Fitzpatrick, should have gotten to the playoffs. If not for, for Fitzmagic, all that magic going away. And, and, and the Jets... You know, choking that last game against the Buffalo Bills to miss the playoffs. That's a different story for a different show. Brian Dable. There's been like four games this year where like, God, Dable just completely out-schemed and out-coached the opposition. Heck, you can argue that for Dable when he was the offensive coordinator for Buffalo just last year. Going toe-to-toe, blow-for-blow with Andy Reid. We've seen Brian Dable do this. Now, Mike McCarthy, that's why I call Nick Sirianni Mike McCarthy. When's the last time we were like, oh, gosh, Mike McCarthy. Boy, he pulled one. And then, mm. and then Kyle Shanahan, the ultimate wizard, the ultimate designer of the run game, which, of course, he took a lot of that from his dad, Mike Shanahan, in that West Coast system. I'm just saying, a lot of the questions we've had about previous undefeated teams are the same questions we have about these Philadelphia Eagles. Now I don't think they're I don't think they're going to be anything like Pittsburgh or Arizona and just go into a free fall. I don't think they're going to go eight start eight and zero and finish eleven and six. They will in all likelihood win the NFC East. Although the Giants are still alive and they play Philadelphia twice, and the Cowboys still have a pulse and they play Philadelphia the third to last game of the year. So they have by no means whatsoever wrapped up the division. So. But it is something to consider. Minnesota, I'm sorry, uh, Philadelphia's going to make the playoffs. They will likely win the NFC East. There's a good chance they'll probably be the number one seed in the NFC. But there are flaws. And Washington, and even a couple of weeks ago, Houston, have provided a blueprint on how to beat Philadelphia. How to out-scheme Philadelphia. And it's something to look out for moving forward. Uh, if you're, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, now they've got Indianapolis on the road on Sunday. Now uh, Philadelphia is a seven-point favorite in this game. Uh, I'm considering taking the Colts on the points. I, I am at least considering it. Uh, Mike Guido, my man, co-founder of the Grid Network. What's up, Mike? He says Giants will come back down to earth eventually. I agree. I do not see them winning a playoff game. Although. Um, Reboot your credit card with Apple Card. It gives you unlimited daily cash back that can earn 4.15% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account. A high-yield, low-effort way to grow your money with no fees. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone to start earning and growing your daily cash with savings today.
Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings is available to Apple Card owners. Subject to eligibility. Savings accounts by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This was supposed to be a rebuilding year. This was supposed to be a five or six win team max. And Brian Dable has come in and completely changed this culture. And by the way, for the record, loved the Dable hiring for the beginning. I said back when they got him, like, gosh, you know, good job for the New York Giants because the job that he did with, with Josh Allen, and Josh Allen's a remarkable talent. But like Brian Dable, honestly, is kind of one of the exceptions to, um, to a, a new rule I've had on the show about be careful about hiring offensive coordinators who have Hall of Fame talents at quarterback. Be careful with Adam Gase or um, Josh McDaniels. Or Nathaniel Hackett. I'd even be careful, like, be careful with Eric Bieniemy. Dable's the exception to that rule. So, with Daniel Jones making him look at least competent, relying on Saquon Barkley, as Mike Guido accurately points out in this comment, he says they run the ball like crazy, control time of possession. Absolutely. The offensive line, in terms of run blocking, has shocked everybody. Uh, Saquon, like I mentioned, is probably going to be the, at least today, he's the front runner for offensive player of the year. Um, but with the receiving core that is below average, and that's putting it nicely, Kenny Galladay is is ought to be ought to be put in jail for the money that he's stealing from the New York Giants. He's he's a robber. Uh, Kenny Galladay's a robber. Okay, they traded um uh Tony. They lost Sterling Shepard for the year. There's a chance they get Odell Beckham Jr. We're not sure how that'll go or how he'll fit necessarily into this giant scheme. He'd certainly help. He'd be you know better than what they have, but you just you know worry about the fit. But the Giants to me still feel like they're a team that gets in the postseason. They still feel like a team to me that's would at least give a, a, a division winner at least a, a run for their money. Uh Giants are the five seat today, if I'm not mistaken, in the NFC. Yeah, five seat if they go to Tampa, though. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna take. I'm going to take Tom Brady. I'm going to take the Buccaneers uh, should that matchup materialize. But it is at least worth worth mentioning that they, they, they could be closer than people give, give it credit for. But props to Washington and props to Houston a couple weeks ago for exposing some of the flaws uh, that Philadelphia has. I'm telling you, I don't know what it is about. I, I, I got a bone to pick with whoever creates these cheeseheads. It, it is... If there's any Packers fans in, in the comments, please feel free to chime in. If there's any Packers fans watching this, uh, you know, after it's already aired, do people in Green Bay have really flat heads? Because I mean, you guys should see this. Uh, let me let me take this off. See if the camera can get like a good, like the, these cheese heads are so like this. It's not. It's very shallow where where your head's supposed to go. I I, I don't get it. It's it's very it's very uncomfortable. So like I say, if you see me like trying to adjust this, that's because it's it's. I don't know how you guys wear these for three and a half hours. I, I really don't. First of all, for embarrassment's sake. Second of all, I don't know how it stays in your head. Maybe my head's the problem. Maybe my head's the issue. Who knows? It's unfair of me to blame a whole entire town uh, in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Great, great people over there. But, man, I, I, I don't get why y'all make those these cheese heads the way you do. But let's shift to the NBA for a second because there's a really interesting story going on involving Kevin Durant. So the Nets are sitting there at 6-9. and nine. They've been a pretty much abject disaster this year. They fired Steve Nash. You've got the Kyrie Irving controversy, or I should say another Kyrie Irving controversy, uh, and everything that comes with that. Uh, Mike Guido says you needed to get the designer deep dish cheese head. <laughs> Come on, Mike. Get off my back, bro. Get off my back. The designer deep dish cheese head. 
Man, I hate that I lost this bet. And then we wouldn't have be having to have this discussion right now. This is so embarrassing. This sucks. Just got to get through today, get through tomorrow, and it'll be over. Thank God. But <laughs> shifting the NBA, the Nets have been a mess. They're less than a month into the season, already on their interim head coach, Jacques Vaughn. You got the Kyrie Irving controversy. They've been awful on defense. They just gave up a buck 53 to the Sacramento Kings, who, by the way, have been playing very good basketball lately. And I want to give a big shout-out, uh, tip of the cheese head, to, um, to Mike Brown, former assistant coach of the Golden State Warriors. Mike, who's in the comments, would know. Former head coach of the Cavaliers, who's done just a great job over there. Um, really has gotten them to buy into the defensive end. He's taken advantage of the fact that they've got some really talented scorers. Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox, Kevin Herters had a great year for them. So I'm not saying Sacramento is going to be a team that, you know, is like a six seed or something and miss the play and, you know, not have to play in the play tournament. But should they get in the play tournament, look out. I'm just saying. Now, they could be an early season fraud for all we know. They are the Sacramento Kings after all, but they're certainly a very interesting watch uh, in the NBA. Definitely a team you want to see on league pass. But as far as Brooklyn, um, <laughs> safe to say they're not exactly title contenders on uh, the Eastern Conference. Uh, you know, you look at all the teams out of the East. You got Cleveland, you've got Milwaukee, you've got Boston's got the best record in the East. Atlanta has looked good. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a there's a crap ton of teams in the East that, that looks like a legit title contender. But I'm looking at Brooklyn and I'm looking at Kevin Durant, who recently did an interview this morning with Bleacher Report with Chris Haynes. Chris Haynes is a is a very, very good inside reporter. And he was talking about a lot of things. He was talking about uh, the issues he had with Steve Nash, as, as we all remember, when he initially requested a trade last this past summer. Basically, he said, okay, I'll stay if you fire Steve Nash, the head coach, and Sean Marks, the general manager. Well, thus far, he's gotten his way half, halfway through in terms of Steve Nash no longer being there, which I still maintain. I don't think that was the, the Nets firing Steve Nash. I think Steve Nash wanted out, and the Nets were like, okay, fine, we'll let you out. It's... Not like it's worked that well anyway. Like that's one of those situations where the mutually agreed to part ways is where I think it actually applies. Like that's one of those situations where like, okay, I, th- I think that actually, I think that actually happened. But with Kevin Durant, he was talking to, to Chris Haynes and he was, he was talking about, uh, he was talking about leadership. Okay. He was talking about, you know, people wanting him to, to sort of show those, those leadership qualities. Okay, and he said, quote, I'm not a leader. What the blank does that mean? A lot of people say I'm not a leader because I didn't tell Kyrie to get vaccinated. Come on. Or I didn't condemn Kyrie for leaving the team, going out and living his life. I'm not going to tell a grown man what he can and can't do with his own life and dissect his views or how he thinks about uh, blank. We can have a conversation, exchange perspective on how I feel about the topic and you feel about the topic, but everybody else don't need to hear. uh, Sorry, to know or hear our conversations because we're grown men. I don't operate like that. And then he went on to say. When he was talking about leadership, he said this, and I quote, look at our starting lineup, Edmund Sumner, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, Claxton, and me. It's not disrespect, but what are you expecting from that group? You expect us to win because I'm out there. So if you're watching from that lens, you're expecting us to play well because number seven is out there. He went on to say, I'm having a really good time. I wish y'all could hear me talk during the game. If I got mic'd up more, people would stop asking me if I'm happy or not. I'm enjoying every moment to step on this effing court, and part of it is because I tore my Achilles in the pandemic, and I didn't know if we were going to play again. I didn't know if I was going to play again. Then he, he went on to talk about how, how happy he is to, you know, to be back on the court playing basketball. So this interview, as, as a longtime Kevin Durant fan, I actually happened to be wearing his old uh, Warriors jersey. 
and this will come into um, this will mean a lot more in the next segment, but I'll save that for then. As a longtime Kevin Durant fan, going back to his days in Oklahoma City, hearing this interview, I'm actually happy for him. Genuinely. Because I talked about all summer, and I've talked about in the past, I I know Charles Barkley talked about it at length, the great Charles Barkley, uh, talking about, you know, Chuck called him Mr. Miserable, and he's told me he's never happy, and I echoed those same sentiments. I'm like, I I don't ever see KD really smile all that much. I mean, it may sound little, but for a guy who loves basketball, and God knows Kevin Durant, he eats, sleeps, and, and breathes the game of basketball. Never seen that happy. I didn't know if it was because he was in Brooklyn. I didn't know if it was because necessarily he was regretting leaving Golden State for Brooklyn and more specifically for Kyrie Irving. I didn't know if all that was was part of the issue. Maybe he didn't like Steve Nash as much as he thought he would. A lot of things coming into play here. But it seems like Kevin Durant is genuinely happy in, in, in a good place, which is great. It is, is great. You know, I, I'm a very big advocate of mental health on the show. And if Kevin Durant says he's great and he, he's, he's telling the truth, God bless him. Um... I don't like him taking shots at teammates. I do. You guys know I'm very critical of guys like Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, etc., for doing that. Going at Royce O'Neal, Edmund Sumner, Nick Claxton, uh, who, by the way, he referred to just by his last name, which I thought was a little weird, uh, and Joe Harris. Now he's he's right to a certain degree that yeah, they expect the Nets to win because number seven, aka Kevin Durant, is on the court. But at some point. You got to look at it from the lens and say, okay, he's cool. He's happy playing basketball. And he reiterated in this article, he still don't really want to be in Brooklyn. Okay. And, you know, Brooklyn's not his, his, his first destination per se. So is it at all possible that Kevin Durant has come to terms with the fact what he is and what he isn't? Because I talked about this last summer when he requested a trade. I said, is Kevin Durant running from the fact that he can't be a leader? Or is he trying to go you know, lead elsewhere because he recognizes Brooklyn's never going to work? Because you mentioned teams like Phoenix, who had an established leader in Chris Paul. He mentioned teams like Miami, who have an established leader and a culture, as a matter of fact, with Jimmy Butler, with Udonis Haslam, Eric Spolstra, and the Heat culture, which you know is a big thing in Miami. Some of these teams he mentioned, yeah, I mean, Memphis has a, a good structure with good young players and a great coach. All these teams he mentioned, leadership. I thought it was very interesting that he listed those teams this offseason, and he said straight up verbatim in this, in, in this interview, I'm not a leader. And to me, I don't think he has to be. Matter of fact, there's a lot of great players in the NBA that aren't necessarily quote-unquote leaders. Now, I think... The ones that are separate themselves. Giannis, Steph, Luca, Damian Lillard. For years, obviously, LeBron. Like, I don't, I don't know if Jokic is a leader. And that's the only reason that's an issue is because Denver doesn't really have another guy who's like the quote-unquote heartbeat of the franchise. Kevin Durant needs to go somewhere where that is the case. I don't think he's going to finish this year in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. I have a hard time believing he's just going to stick this out. I know he loves to hoop and everything, but, you know, it's, it's after so long, it only it only can get so far. Um, Let's see. Uh, Mike Guido said, the Kings worked Cleveland too. They look good. Yeah, the, yeah, and Cleveland's been on a little bit of a, uh, little bit of a cold streak. Um, 
Golden State beat them. Sacramento beat them. I think Cleveland, I don't know, did they play last night? I'm, I'm trying to check. I, I, I didn't watch a ton of basketball last night outside of the Warriors-Suns game and the Hawks-Celtics um, game. Let's see, Cleveland, Cleveland. They lost to Milwaukee. Okay, so Cleveland's now on, on a serious losing streak here, so they, they need, really need to right the ship. Um, yeah, the Kings are playing good. And Mike Guido said, yikes, Durant, don't call out your teammates like that. I, I'm with you. I, I, I'm never a fan of guys calling their teammates out. I'm more adamant about it in the NFL because I think the NFL, more than any sport by far, leadership is so, so important. I mean, folks, we've had teams in the past, like, think about the Lakers, like the last championship with Kobe and Shaq. Who was the leader? I mean, was it Phil Jackson? Maybe. But Kobe and Shaq hated each other's guts. Shaq was never a natural leader. Kobe, at that stage of his career, wasn't the guy that necessarily everybody looked up to. Matter of fact, Kobe wasn't really looked at as kind of the guy everybody looked up to till about his 12th year-ish, 2007, 8, that, that point, once they got Pau Gasol and they were back to being legit title contenders again. Um, but I do think leadership is important in the NBA. As Kevin Durant doesn't have to be a leader. So And, and be in a championship discussion, by the way. So long as he goes somewhere where there is, that is the case. So that's that's at least important bringing up. And, and John Rivera, of course, is in the comments just, you know, trolling me and ribbing me about this this cheese on my head. Like I said, I I, I, I haven't really spoken to my sister much this week because she has inflicted so much pain on, upon me. But, but as far as KD, I think deep down he, did, he is kind of tired of this crap going on in Brooklyn. I think to a certain degree he's like, yeah, hooping's cool. He loves to hoop. That's you know what he always says, but hooping's a lot more fun when you're winning. And the situation in Brooklyn, Kyrie reportedly is going to be back by Sunday. So now you all have that issue again. Not only just off the court, but on the court. Kyrie, as I've always always said on my show, he, he's not just not a winning basketball player. He's a losing, losing basketball player. We look at Kevin Durant's record in Brooklyn with Kyrie, without Kyrie. It's better without Kyrie, despite the guy's undeniable talent. I have a feeling he finishes the season elsewhere, which perfectly segues me into my next segment about KD's former team. My Golden State Warriors, who are currently, as we sit here today, the back-to-back, uh, back -back, hopefully the back-to-back -back by some point, the 2022 NBA champions. Uh, John Rivera, real quick, says KD will be in Memphis. Here's the only thing. Asset-wise... Would they be able to give up enough to where they bring KD in? Obviously, they're not trading Ja. To bring KD in to go along with Ja Morant and still be title contenders. Viable, yeah. They'll, they'll absolutely be a playoff team, but will they be legit title contenders? That, that's the question. Um, I'm not ruling that out at all. Memphis certainly has the depth. I think they have the assets in terms of draft picks. So from all these trades they made, the Marcus Gasol deal, you know, Mike Conley deal, stuff like that. So it, it, it's at least worth a thought. Worth a thought. And they'll certainly be viable. I just don't know if that make them championship contenders because of all the depth that they would have to give up. But Golden State, this has been a rough month to start the year, and that is putting it mildly. The Warriors are six and nine. They are twelfth in the Western Conference, as like as I call it, the Western Conference. Um, Steph Curry might be having the best season of his career, folks. And that's, I'm not exaggerating that one iota. So he just scored 50 last night. He just scored 50 last night on 28 shots, 
17 for 28 from the field, 7 for 11 from three-point range. This season, he's averaging 33, 7, and 6. He's got the second-best uh, player efficiency rating in the NBA, and he's shooting 50, 40, 90. This episode is brought to you by Paycor. Paycor empowers leaders to build winning teams. With Paycor, leaders can recruit, onboard and train employees, set goals, and drive performance. If you're a leader, everyone depends on you. Who do leaders depend on? Paycor. Learn more at paycor.com slash leaders. Which, that's only been done one season in NBA history where a guy averaged 30, and that was also Steph Curry back in his unanimous MVP year in 2016. If Golden State was sitting here 15 games in and they were, let's just flip their record, 9-6 and six or 10-5, and five, Steph would be the front runner for MVP. Well, with, with all due respect to Luka, who today I think is the front runner for MVP, it'd be Steph. The problem is, the biggest problem is, I should say, my Warriors are allergic to defense. That is not a statement I thought I'd ever make in the Steve Kerr era, at least the Steve Kerr era involving the, as I call them, the three amigos, Steph, Clay, Draymond, as well as all the other pieces, Wiggins, Looney, Poole. I never thought I'd say that. But as it stands today, incredibly, the Warriors are, are fourth in the NBA in points per game. Think about that. They're fourth in the NBA in points per game. Now, a lot of that is because Steph's having a phenomenal year. They're 27th in points given up per game. 27th. Let me go through. These are the defending NBA champion Warriors. Four titles in the last eight years. This season through 15 games, okay? Points given up. 109, 128, 125, 134, 110, 120, 128, 116, 130, 114, 113, 101, which is pretty good, 122, 95, 130 last night against the Phoenix Suns. By the way, with no Cam Johnson and more importantly, no CP3. Campaign went off. Devin Booker had a good night. Uh, DeAndre, I don't know what DeAndre Ayton's doing. He's, I mean, he's, he's, I don't think he really wants to be in Phoenix, to be completely honest with you, given the situation between him and Monty Williams, but that's another subject for another day. Golden State seems to be allergic to defense. A lot of that is lack of communication on the pick and roll. A lot of that is fouling. A lot of that is, is uh, late assignments. A lot of that is, and this, this wasn't a problem in the postseason. For whatever reason, lack of size. And the size that they do have, Looney's been good, but he's been in foul trouble. And their, their only other quote-unquote big man, James Wiseman, just got sent down to the G League because he's been so bad. And that leads me to my, my next point. I don't think as a Warriors fan and my friends in Dub Nation or just the basketball-watching world gave enough credit to how important some of the veterans were last year. Certainly Gary Payton, which to me was the biggest loss of the offseason to the Portland Trailblazers. Otto Porter Jr., Nemanja Bialica, even to a certain degree guys like Juan Toscano Anderson, who's kind of a hustle player. The loss of these guys, these veteran players, have proved to be really, really costly because you had some of these same young guys last year. You had Jordan Poole, who's had a down year ever since he got paid. Jonathan Kaminga's not playing well. Moses Moody's not playing well. James Wiseman's been so bad, they sent him back down to the G League. This is a guy who's the second overall pick in the draft just two years ago. That's how bad he's been. But you had some of those veterans in who could sort of mask the flaws 
of some of these uh, some of these younger players who could you know take their minutes. That's not the case anymore. Yes, you brought in guys like Dante DiVincenzo, who's been pretty good. Jamichael Green has been awful through the first 15 games. Uh, crap, who am I missing? I think I've got them all. Uh, and, uh, that, that Lamb kid's okay. He's, he's fine. That's the issue. And by the way, some of the other young guys, Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin Jr., aren't even playing right now. And something else to bring up. And this hurts to say as a Warriors fan. <laughs> I am here to say, and I'm here to tell you, with no doubt in my mind, with no doubt in my mind, we have absolutely seen the best of Clay Thompson. His best days are long gone. Now, do I think he will get back on track? Yes. If you look at Clay's numbers to start seasons for the last, I don't know, six or seven years, if you look at his numbers in October, November, even, even some points in December, he gets off to slow starts for whatever reason. It has never been this bad. Clay Thompson, folks. Do I have the stat here? Do I have the here? Okay, here it is. Of the 164 players in the NBA who have attempted at least 100 shots this season, Clay Thompson has the fourth worst true shooting percentage. Clay Thompson. As I always say about Klay Thompson, he has every three-point record that Steph Curry doesn't. Most threes in a game, most threes to consecutive threes to start a game, most threes in a quarter. Uh, what else? He used to have the record for most playoff threes until Dane broke his record a year and a half ago. Like I said, Klay holds every three-point record that Steph Curry does not. I've always said that. This is this is a guy who just. Seven years ago? Seven years ago, scored 37 points in a quarter. This is a guy who just four years ago broke the record for threes made in a game and had to be taken out because the Warriors were up 50. Had he stayed in, he probably would have hit 23s. That's how hot he was. Heck, this is a guy who just in the postseason months ago was great. Game six against Memphis was phenomenal. Game five against Dallas was great. Had a big game four and game five in the finals against the Boston Celtics. Play one well game three as well, by the way. I don't know if it's... He just has doesn't have his legs underneath him. Which is part of the reason he's not been very good defensively. Which that's something else with Clay. I mean, he was in that discussion for best two-way player in the league. Because he could give you 25 and lock up your best perimeter player. Or the other team's best perimeter player. He, he can't do either anymore. Now he's averaging 15. His percentage is awful. He's shooting like 33% from three, which for Clay Thompson is terrible. And now he can't play defense for whatever reason. A lot of people have been hard on Draymond. Can I tell you what my biggest issue with Draymond is this year? And I'm not kidding. His play's been fine. He's been Draymond Green. He's individually, he's been pretty good defensively. He's been more aggressive than usual on the offensive end. His, his, Connection, his chemistry with Steph is still undefeated. I don't like the stream on I'm seeing for one reason and one reason only. I don't, I don't see him get pissed off enough. Plain and simple. And that's part of what made Draymond great. And that is part of what I defended him on. Not punching Jordan Poole. I never defended the punch. That, of course, the whole world saw because somebody leaked it in the Warriors organization at TMZ. I never defended the punch. 
But I said, I don't want Draymond to change simply because he's been humiliated. Because for every almost fight with Steve Kerr, for every sucker punch to Jordan Poole, you get about 25, 30 games of dominance in terms of controlling the game on both ends. I don't see that same Draymond. Is it still, is the is the the memory of how the world saw the Jordan Poole punch in practice, is that still lingering his head? I don't know. I can't speak to Draymond and what he's thinking about. But I don't see the same guy. We know his athleticism is waning. We know his basketball IQ is still top-notch. We know on the court, he's playing pretty well. I don't see that same edge with Draymond. And that concerns me a little bit. Wiggins has been great. Like I, I Wiggins has absolutely been the second best war. He's, he's, you know, he's Andrew Wiggins gives you 20, you know, maybe, maybe 17, 20 points and plays great defense. It's what he does. And he's efficient. Andrew Wiggins has, has, has been very good this season. Steph Curry's obviously been out of this world. Everybody else, and Draymond's been fine, but I want to see more emotion from him. Defensive, what are the Warriors' problems? Number one, defensive end of the floor, which the good news is that's fixable. That's a fixable problem for the Golden State Warriors. I'll never forget that two years ago, the 2020 through 2021 season, there's no Clay Thompson. He had just torn his Achilles. Uh, you know, Kevin Durant was long gone. You know, Andrew Wiggins was still kind of getting comfortable in the Warriors system. Jordan Poole hadn't developed quite yet. It was basically Steph and Draymond or bust. And the Warriors to start that season were garbage on defense. I remember they were giving up 120 a game, 130 games, similar to what they're doing right now. By the end of the season, they were a top 10 defense in the NBA. With all those holes in their roster. That's that's kind of been the calling card of Steve Kerr. And sort of the Warriors way, the way the Warriors play basketball is their defense fuels their offense. All the Warriors talk about it. That's not happening right now. By the way, the offense has been great. It's been fairly efficient. They cleaned up turnovers seemingly over the last few games. The defense has been bad, number one. Number two, and I was dead wrong about this, the young guys aren't ready yet. And number three, and gosh, this hurts to say. Clay Thompson ain't that same dude anymore. I think he'll get right. We will see better from Clay Thompson this year. I have no doubt about it. We're only 15 games in. There's still 65 to go. I'm sorry, 67 to go. We will see good Clay Thompson games. We may even see a couple great games. But his days of being the second best player on this dynastic team, of being the Robin to Steph's Batman, those days are over. And that hurts me to say. So what could be the solution? Kevin Durant, you're always welcome back, buddy. I know it'd be a little weird. I've talked to some of my friends in Dub Nation. They wouldn't love it, given how the last season with KD went back in the 2018-19 season. But Steve Kerr talked about in an article with Ramona Shelburne. She did an article, great piece on Clay Thompson. But she interviewed Steve Kerr as well in that piece. And he was very candid. He said, look... This could be our last year of the dynasty. Next year could be the last year of the dynasty, but it's coming to an end soon. Might as well max the most of it, because Steph 
is still in his prime. Wiggins is, is still an excellent player, second best player on your team. Draymond is still effective. I have confidence in Jordan Poole that he's going to right the ship. Clay, we'll see. Everybody else, I have no idea. I don't know if Jonathan Kaminga is going to go from four points a game to nine. Could he give us nine? Could he give us better defense than what he's given us? I don't know if the G League is going to help James Wiseman become at least part of the big man that the Warriors hoped he would be when they drafted him second overall out of Memphis in the 2020 NBA draft. I don't know. You know what I do know? Kevin Durant's a walking 30 points. Kevin Durant is still an excellent defensive player in the NBA. You know I know that? He's top five in blocks. Again. So you got rim protection. He's good on the perimeter. We know, we have no questions about how he works in the Warriors system. He's flawless because he's great without the ball. He's a great scorer, creating his own shot, creating space. He's a very underrated passer. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I don't know. I know I made the same recruiting pitch back in the summer. Now, I'm a whole lot less hesitant on that. Give Brooklyn Kaminga, Wiseman, Moody. However many draft picks Brooklyn asks for, you may have to, actually, you almost would have to give up Jordan Poole just to have a similar salaries. But KD makes more than Jordan Poole, but Jordan's making about $32 million. KD's making in the $40 million-ish range. You have to match salaries a little bit. But I'm sorry, I'm going for it with Kevin Durant. Katie and Steph have never needed each other ever more than they do now. Katie needs structure. Because he's not, as he himself admitted, he's not ready to be a leader. He's never been a leader. Steph needs another score. He's a guy who understands the Warriors culture better than these young guys. A guy who's played in some big, big finals games. Has two great finals moments in back-to-back finals in Cleveland. Golden State needs KD, and KD needs Golden State. Pull the trigger, Bob Myers. By the way, do you think Sean Marks wants to keep running the course? You have Kevin Durant. For what? You're not going anywhere. I'm not even sure you're going to make the play-in tournament. What do you have Kevin Durant for? You want to talk about an asset? There's no bigger asset in the NBA than Kevin Durant. He's perfect. Move on from him. Now, you, if you could also move on from Kyrie, that could help you as well. If, if anybody would take Kyrie, we'd see about that. But it'd be a win-win for Golden State and for KD. Make it happen, Bob Myers. Make it happen. Uh, let us see. Mike Guido says, I hate him. I do not know who, who you're referring to, Mike. If you, are you talking about uh, Dre? Uh, actually, I, I think Dre, he's probably referring to Draymond. He's probably referring to Draymond, is, is my guess, although I don't want to put words in Mike's mouth. John Rivera says, bring Katie back, trade Poole, Wiseman, and some draft picks. I agree. As I just detailed, and that, that's what I'm saying. This would be a match made in basketball heaven because we saw it work before. John Rivera says, it's more mental now. Uh, feel bad for him. 
I, I think I think he's referring to Clay Thompson. I, I don't I don't know anybody in the NBA who doesn't have sympathy for Clay. I mean, how, it, it feels unfair too because he's guy yeah, such a good guy and he's a great teammate and he's won the championships. And for him to have literally back to back devastating injury, one devastating injury is a lot. I mean, look what look what it took Jamal Murray to come back from this ACL injury, and he's just now trying to get comfortable. Clay had two. Clay had the ACL, and then the Achilles back to back. I agree, John. I think it is mental. You're seeing Clay being a lot more chippy with officials. He's responding to people on social media more. I mean, he's it's Clay never did. The Clay didn't care what anybody thought. Clay was Clay. Clay showed up to the arena, scored his 25 points, 30 points, whatever, on a good night. All right, he plays great defense. Warriors would win, and Clay would go home, chill with Rocco. Or chill with his buddies, and then the next morning after shoot-around, go out boating on the, on the bay. Like Now Clay's getting a lot more sensitive on social media. It, it's sad, man. I, I love Clay. I love that guy. And I am by no means saying Golden State should move on from Clay. But we have seen the best of him, without a doubt. And that sucks. He's only 32 years old. Like, he should still be in his prime. But, man, there's, there's only so much the human body can take in terms of injuries. And uh, hate it for Clay Thompson. Uh, in other news, before I get to my Dak Prescott segment, in other news in the NFL, uh, this is a, at least notable. The Let's see, let me pull. Okay. Uh, so this is according to Adam Schefter, although I believe Ian Rappaport broke this first. Uh, the NFL is officially moving the Cleveland Browns-Buffalo Bills game out of Buffalo into Ford Field, where it will be played Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this is notable for two reasons. One, because Buffalo is going to play twice at Ford's Field in five days because they're playing in Detroit against the Browns on Sunday, and then they're playing the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. So in the span of five days, they're going to be playing at Ford Field, which is interesting. And then secondly, uh, the reason they moved this game, for anybody that might be wondering, is because the weather probably could not be worse in Buffalo on Sunday. And by the way, best wishes to everybody in Buffalo to staying safe in what is going to be crazy weather. Meteorologists are projecting, number one, 30-mile-an-hour winds. As if that's not crazy enough, they are projecting anywhere from 48 to 72 inches of snow. So this is not even playable. Like Buffalo, people people reference that Buffalo game when they played, I think, the Indianapolis Colts back in 2017 in in just a snowstorm. But that's, I mean, that's not even, you can't even play in that. Like it would be, if should they have, if they would have played that, it would it would have been interesting for about five minutes. Like, wow, how do you even see? How do you even play in this? And then after a while, it would become, it would become unwatchable. Like I joked on social media, I said, okay, I've got the Bills winning this game five to three. Like, it would have been bad. It, it would have been awful football. Even, even five to three felt like it would have been a stretch. Okay, Bills probably would have won that game two to nothing on a safety, in all honesty. Uh, it would have been a really hard game to watch. It would have been unsafe for the players. Heck, even unsafe for the fans. It would it, 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 have been a disaster. So smart by the NFL to, to move this to Detroit, to, to move this to a dome. Uh, and, and thank goodness the Lions aren't playing there on Sunday. They Although they probably would have moved it to another you know, climate-controlled uh, environment in uh, in the NFL, you know, whatever stadium that might be. But, uh, yeah, smart smart move there by, by the National Football League. So let's talk about 
Let's talk about Dak Prescott, my guy. Man, if, if I could just wear a Dak hat today, uh, that would be that would be nice. Uh, but I can't because I lost a bet. But probably the biggest game of the weekend, honestly, is is Cowboys Vikings because you got two playoff contenders. Uh, Minnesota is riding high right now. They're eight and one. They've won six straight games. I'm sorry, seven straight games. Okay, they just beat Buffalo on the road in what was just a crazy miracle finish. Justin Jefferson made the catch of the year, definitely, but I'm I'm, I'm not so sure it was the greatest catch ever. I'm not so sure that doesn't surpass Odell's, uh, given the moment in the game, given the fact that the Vikings won, unlike Odell's Giants, and simply put, it was a more impressive catch, in my humble opinion. Minnesota is going to win the NFC North going away. It's not even going to be close, okay? Green Bay is sitting there at, what, four games back? Three and a half games back, plus Minnesota beat them on opening day. They've got a better division record. It'd take an absolute miracle for Green Bay to come back on, on the Vikings to win the division. But they're at home in this game. Dallas is reeling a little bit, coming off that road loss to Green Bay in which they were five-point favorites and blew a 14-point fourth-quarter lead. Somehow, it makes no sense to me. Dallas is actually favored in this game, which I tell, I'm telling you, I don't get. I, I genuinely don't get it. First of all, I don't think Dallas is better than Minnesota, and I said that literally before a single game was played this season. I said Minnesota is going to absolutely be better than Dallas. I said Minnesota is going to win the NFC North, and they're going to win a playoff game. Said that before the season. So first of all, I think straight up, neutral field, Minnesota is better than Dallas. But then he added the fact that Minnesota is at home, coming off a big road win, and Dallas is coming in after a, a road loss to a below-average team. That's off a bye, nonetheless. That's I don't get it. Dallas, it, the, the Lions jumped up from one to two. It's sitting there right now in between at one and a half. It'll definitely change and fluctuate uh, throughout the next 24 hours before I make my week 11 picks. Uh, it'll change a lot, by the way, before kickoff on Sunday at 425 Eastern, 325 Central in, in Minnesota, or in Minneapolis more specifically. But as far as Dak, I want to talk about him for a little bit. Because... I briefly touched on it on Monday's show. Everybody's blaming Dak for the Cowboys' loss to the Green Bay Packers. Despite the fact that he did throw to three touchdown passes. Despite the fact that neither pick was his fault. I any it, Brian Baldinger talked about it, breaking down film. Shannon Sharp talked about it. Anyone who watches film for a living looked at those two plays and said neither of those were Dak's fault. I heard, I think it was it, um, it was Baldinger or somebody else who said, Dak maybe forced that first one a little bit, but the second one was absolutely not his fault. Okay, because CeeDee Lamb is supposed to flash across the safety's face. He goes behind the safety, and so it looks as if the pass was thrown right to the safety. On both plays, by the way. So neither pick was Dak's fault. He threw three touchdown passes. And with what I've been lectured on is the best defense in football gave them a 14-point lead. Going to the fourth quarter, Dallas is up 14 points. So for all the criticism of how bad Dak played, he spot that defense a 14-point lead against a Green Bay offense that has been anemic over the past month. And they proceeded to score 17 uh, straight points. To win the game. But let me tell you this. A couple things I want to touch on. The first thing is 
the Cowboys defense with Dak this season and without Dak. With Dak, they've given up 21 points a game. Without him, 16. With Dak, 361 yards allowed per game. Without him, 295. Yards allowed per play, 6 with Dak. Without him, 4. To me, that comes down to one thing and one thing only. The defense, when Cooper Rush was in at quarterback, was like, we have to play almost perfect to win the game. Because we know if Cooper Rush makes one mistake, we're cooked. They, they came out with a stat the other day. I don't know if I have it on here. No, I, unfortunately, I don't. But they came out with a stat. They were talking about the most, I don't know what sort of analytic system they used, the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL. Dak was near the top of the list. Cooper Rush, among the quarterbacks that have played last year, this year, was literally dead last. So the Cowboys defense know that, not necessarily the analytics, but they know the gap between Cooper Rush and Dak is the Grand Canyon. And they know to win, we have to play perfect. We got to take the ball away. We got to get to the quarterback. We got to stop the run. Whereas with Dak, they're like, okay, we're, we're getting 20, we're getting 28, 35 points every game. We don't have to be on our best behavior necessarily to win. I mean, they gave up 29 points to the Bears. Difference is the Cowboys beat him by 20 because they ran the ball down Chicago's throat and Dak was money all day with his arm and with his legs. They didn't have to be perfect with Dak. And boy, did that show on Lambeau Field. And so, and Micah Parsons actually alluded to this. He said, if, if Dak Prescott ever gives us a 14-point lead again, trust me, we're closing that. We are not losing that game. And so, you know, we'll see if in the future that is the case, at least against a good team, which Green Bay is not even that, but just in the future. I will tell you this, and I'll play off of a uh, quote that Dak Prescott had in his media availability today uh, with the Cowboys media. He said, and I quote, this is a playoff game. We know what this game means in the division. We know what this means in the NFC. It's about going up there, putting our best foot forward, and making sure we put our best performance out there to show the team we are in all aspects. So Dak has come out and said, this is kind of a do-or-die game at Minnesota. Because the way Minnesota's playing, because of the fact that Dallas, there is no way they should have lost that game against the Packers. And Dak is saying, this is our opportunity to make a statement and say, no, 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 we are contenders. I don't think they are. I, I've said that for the longest. I've said that since like March. But Dak is saying this is our opportunity to prove it. To show that, hey, we can come off of a demoralizing, heartbreaking loss. And we can respond against an elite football team on the road the next week. By the way, this next week, okay, today is today's Thursday. All right, and it's, it's almost 6 Eastern, which is normally when I start the show. Doing a little bit of early show today. We'll be back at 6 o'clock tomorrow. But if you look at it, you say, all right, if... The Dallas Cowboys take care of business the next two. Seven days from now, they'll be sitting there at eight and three. What Cowboy fan wouldn't take that? But if they don't, they'll be six and six and be in serious jeopardy of missing the playoffs. And I mean, how long has it been since the Cowboys have made the playoffs back-to-back -back years? It's been since like 2006 and seven, I think it was. They made the playoffs in 2006, and then they made it in 20, 2007. That's the last time the Cowboys made the playoffs back-to-back -back years. 
that that will be in jeopardy should they lose both these games this week against the Vikings on Sunday and against the Giants on Thanksgiving Day. I'm going to come out with a statement on Dak Prescott, who you guys know is my guy. I have been very clear about this. I'm not a Cowboys fan, a Dak Prescott fan. In order to win on Sunday, Dak Prescott has to play the best game of his NFL career. You heard it here first. If the Cowboys beat the Vikings on Sunday afternoon in Minneapolis at U.S. Bank Stadium, it will be because Dak Prescott played the best game of his NFL career. Why do I say that? First of all, obviously, for obvious reasons, Minnesota's 8-1, Dallas is 6-3. Minnesota's look significantly better than Dallas all throughout the season. But also, when you look at what the two quarterbacks have, Kirk Cousins has had a very good season this year. But if you can compare what Kirk's support system is and what Dax is, it's not even close. First of all, let's just mention the simple fact. Kirk is at home. Dax on the road. Kirk Cousins has Kevin O'Connell as his head coach. Dak has Mike McCarthy. Kirk Cousins has Justin Jefferson, maybe the best receiver in all football. Dak has CeeDee Lamb, who routinely drops passes and is terrified of contact, leading to numerous interceptions for Dak this season. Kirk Cousins has TJ Hawkinson as his tight end. Dak Prescott as his tight end has Dalton Schultz. Kirk Cousins has numerous playmakers in the defensive side of the ball. Zadarius Smith and Harrison Smith and, and uh, uh, Patrick Peterson and all these players. Dak has Micah Parsons, who's a superstar, and Trayvon Diggs, who comes and goes. Aside from that, it's... Eh. Kirk Cousins has Dalvin Cook. Dak has Tony Pollard, who's going to be demoted to the backup because Ezekiel Elliott's coming back. So Dak is at a disadvantage in this game in just about every way, shape, and form. So for him to overcome this, he will have to play the best game of his career on Sunday afternoon. By the way, I think he's capable of doing that. He's absolutely capable of doing that. Um, look at some of those. He, he, I mean, some of the best games of Dak Prescott's career has come on the road. His rookie year at Pittsburgh, uh, 2000, uh, just last year at Tampa Bay. I was at that game. Dak was amazing in that game. Threw for 400 yards, three touchdown passes, went toe-to-toe with the GOAT. Problem was, the GOAT got the ball last, and the GOAT did what the GOAT always does when he has the ball last, and that's lead a game when he drive. Last year against a Bill Belichick defense at Foxborough, Dak leads a game when he drive an OT. And I think he threw three touchdown passes and over 300 yards in that game. So he was great. Okay. Some of Dak Prescott's best games of his career have come on the road. They're going to need the best they've ever had from him on Sunday afternoon. Dak wins. I'm sorry. If the Cowboys win on Sunday, it'll be because Dak, be because Dak Prescott played the best game of his career. Because given the circumstances, it is as if the guy's right arm, because he's a right-handed quarterback, is tied behind his back which is why I revert back to how the Cowboys are favored in this game makes literally no sense. I don't get it. I really, genuinely, I don't get it. But I did want to, to mention this. Let's see. The last thing about Dak, this has nothing to do with the segment, but this is something I found that was very interesting. I, I know a lot of folks out there were talking about, man, I'd take Jalen Hurts over, over Dak Prescott. I even heard uh, Bart, Bart Scott, who says all kinds of crazy stuff, 
But he was talking about Jalen Hurts is clearly, he said clearly, a better quarterback than Dak. Well, Jalen Hurts has played 27 games in the NFL. Okay, 27 games. Dak's last 27 games. Let's compare the numbers, shall we? Jalen Hurts, 61% completion percentage. Dak Prescott, 68. Jalen Hurts is thrown for 6,200 yards. Dak, 7,600. Jalen Hurts has thrown 34 touchdowns. Dak Prescott's thrown 55 touchdowns. Jalen Hurts' QBR, I'm sorry, passer rating is 91. Dak Prescott's 102. Men lie, women, women lie, kids lie. Numbers do not. Let's start. Let's 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 stop it with the Dak Prescott Jalen Hurts nonsense until proven otherwise. All right, we've got a big, big game tonight. I cannot wait to watch this. We got a big one tonight between the Tennessee Titans and the Green Bay Packers to kick off week 11. Get the background music going. Let's go. In this game, Green Bay at home coming off a big win, as I mentioned just a second ago, against the Cowboys. They are favored by a field goal, which they're basically saying Vegas is. It's a pick em game because the home team always gets a field goal. 8.15 Eastern, Amazon Prime Video, arguably the biggest or second biggest game on Thursday Night Football, which honestly isn't saying all that much because the Thursday Night games this season, save for like one or two, have sucked. To be completely honest with you. But Tennessee comes in this game, and they are missing numerous starters defensively. They're missing guys like Jeffrey Simmons, uh, Amani Hooker, all kinds of five defensive starters for the Titans are gone. Okay, and Tennessee at times struggled. They got they gave up one big play down the field to Denver. They struggled at times defensively against the Denver Broncos, who are probably who's probably the worst offense in football. So when you factor that in, when you factor the fact that Green Bay did a decent job, excuse me, did a decent job at times in stopping the run for the Cowboys with Tony Pollard, with that offensive line. You have Tennessee coming in. And they're going to have that same mentality that Dallas did to a greater degree, hopefully, for Tennessee. And that is Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry. Did I forget to mention Derrick Henry? <laughs> he probably gets 30, 35 carries if this remains close, which I believe it will. This is a Derrick Henry game. This is a situation where Ryan Tannehill <laughs> can't throw more than 17, 18 passes if I'm Mike Vrabel. Honest, honest to God. I'm not letting... Unless I'm forced to, I'm not letting Ryan Tannehill throw more than 17 or 18 passes. That's how that's how confident I am that he can get the job done. Here's what you're looking at. Okay, Green Bay has, you know, they obviously don't have a running back as good as Derrick Henry, but they got just as good of a running game as, as the Titans do. Just as good a running game. I would argue a better offensive line. Both teams have underachieving defenses. The Titans, because of injuries, the Packers, for whatever reason. Some of its injuries, they have lost guys like Rashawn Gary, uh, that, that Stokes kid, the corner. They've lost numerous guys on the defensive side of the ball. So both defenses underachieved for the most part due to injury. Both running backs, great. What's And by, by obviously, Packers have the quarterback advantage by a country mile with Aaron Rodgers over Ryan Tannehill. Coaching means a lot. Folks, the Tennessee Titans took the Kansas City Chiefs to overtime. You ready for this? Without getting a first down in the entire second half. Think about it. That's coaching. With Malik Willis, who, man, I loved out of the draft. Or, I'm sorry, I liked out of the draft. I didn't love him. I liked him. Has been awful to start his NFL career as a rookie. 
Tennessee Titans did not get a first down in the entire second half, and yet that game still went to overtime against Kansas City. It took a magical Mahomes drive with two minutes left in the fourth quarter just to get it to overtime. It took the best player at his position doing what he does just to get the game to OT against the Titans offense that did not get a first down the entire game. Coaching obviously favors Tennessee over Green Bay. I think this comes down the wire. Here's, here's what I'll say. If Matt LaFleur sticks to the exact same game plan that he did against the Cowboys on Sunday, Green Bay will win the football game. Because I don't think Tennessee, especially with all the injuries, can stop the likes of, of Aaron Jones, who's more of a big playback, and A.J. Dillon, who's more of a 5-6 yard bruiser type running back. It'll be a little ugly because most Thursday night games this season have been. I will take the Green Bay Packers to cover exactly by what they're favored by. Three points. Give me the Green Bay Packers as I make this prediction with a freaking cheese head. I have to pick the Green Bay Packers, but that's what I think the outcome's going to be. Green Bay, not only I think will win the game, but I think should win the game over the Tennessee Titans by a final score of 23-20 to 20 on this Thursday night on Amazon Prime Video. There you go. Green Bay gets to 5-6, and six, and their playoff hopes will not be over quite yet, although their schedule doesn't exactly have a ton of gimmies. They're at Philadelphia 10 days from now, at Miami, Minnesota at home. Like those, That feels like three losses. Green Bay will be fortunate to get, to, a, to get one out of those three. The Minnesota game, the Miami game, or the Minnesota game. So yeah, or, so yeah, Philadelphia, Miami, Minnesota. Like th- those are the that's like that's the three game stretch where Green Bay should lose all three if, if not at the bare minimum two out of those three. But that's what I think is going to happen. Packers win this game twenty three to twenty to kick off Week Eleven in the NFL. It's a fascinating, fascinating matchup. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up Live tomorrow at six p.m. Eastern. 3 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. Also, be sure to catch uh, the Carving It Up uh, the, on the YouTube channel. Like, share, comment, and hit that big red subscribe button up up there. Let's see, where's, where's the graphic? Yeah, right there, right there, right there. You see where I'm pointing if you're the streaming audience. Hit that big red subscribe button. Also, subscribe to the Grid Network. That is the Grid, G-R-Y-D, the Grid Network, where my show is, Carving It Up, along with uh, Clutch Sports Talk, the All Even Podcast, Rocket Fuel, uh, the Rocket Fuel Jets podcast, Chaotic Sports podcast, all kinds of sports podcasts with my man Ryan Flowers, Patrick Brown, Barry Grant Jr., uh, Alfred Parstar Jr., amazing creators, amazing guys. Check out their content on the Grid Network, and that is also where you can listen to my podcast episodes on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, etc. on the Grid Network. Listen to Carving Up on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast on the grid network. That's where you can find my show as well as the other shows of everybody else at the grid. Hope everybody has a great evening. See y'all tomorrow. Looking forward to breaking down this game. Anything that happens in the NBA, maybe, Hey, I can dream that by tomorrow's show, Kevin Durant will for the second time be a golden state warrior. I can dream. As a matter of fact, I actually think the fit kind of works to be totally honest with you. Have a great evening, everybody continue to stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out for the second time. Hate that cheese head. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.